0: What lies ahead in your future? Let's find out. Now here's your host, Elbert Hardy. Why is America to be hated of all nations? America is a Christian nation in the eyes of most people in the world. We are called Christian because look at our money, for example. In God we trust is on the back of it. We're the only nation that's like that. Israel isn't like that, but America is. So we are known worldwide as a Christian nation. So I want to read to you something here in the book of Luke to start with. I want to cover a lot of scriptures today and have to do with the fact that Christians shall be hated of all nations for the name of Jesus. So here we go. This is kind of Luke's parallel to Matthew 24. Starting in verse 10, he says this, Then he said to them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And great earthquakes shall be in different places, and famines, and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs, signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay hands on you, and persecute you delivering you up to the synagogues to and into prisons being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake and it shall turn to you for a testimony settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate beforehand what you will answer for i will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist this is verse 16 And you shall be betrayed, both by parents and brothers, kinsfolk and friends, and some of you they shall cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but there shall not a hair of your head perish, that is, permanently, In your patience possess you your life. Now, let's go see what Matthew 24, the parallel, says. In verse 11, well, no, wait, let's back up to uh, 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And we're going to talk about that a bit. Why are we hated? Keep that question in mind. Why? We're trying to do good things for people. We spread the gospel. We provide Bibles. We go and teach their people. We try to help them in any way we can, sending missionaries around the world. So why would they hate us? Well, you're going to see, along with me, what the Bible has to say about it. Many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many, lead many astray. Well, nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be tricked, deceived, hoodwinked. But that's exactly what many are going and doing in the field in the name of Jesus. Now you're beginning to get a little idea of why we're hated of all nations for the namesake of Jesus. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 6. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in different places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's verse 9, Matthew 24. And then shall many be offended... And many shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, And then shall the end come. I think I'm going to stop right there. So, why are we tricking people? Are we doing that on purpose? Are we hoodwinking people in the name of Jesus and laughing all the way to the bank? Well, you know, in order to lie, you or I must intend to deceive someone. I don't think that people that go into the field risking their very lives are intending to deceive anybody. I don't think they are. I don't think they know they're deceiving other people, but they're doing it anyway. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I know some missionaries. They actually went into the field, learned the language by living there with these remote villages in Africa, in Nigeria in particular, And they learned the language, and they didn't even have a codified language. They didn't have it written. They didn't have a written language at all. Well, now they do, and they translated the book of Mark to start with so that they might learn about Jesus, who he was. They had heard of him, but they didn't know him all that well. Sometimes I wonder about Christians in our country, in America. So let's turn over to Ezekiel 34 for a moment. I want to show you some very interesting things. Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, chapter 34, says this starting in verse 1 Son of man. Oh wait and the word of the lord came to me saying son of man prophesy against the shepherds of israel and this could apply to the shepherds of our day in christianity the shepherds being the pastors and prophesy say unto them thus says the lord god excuse me the lord god unto the shepherds woe be to the shepherds of israel that do feed themselves should they not feed the flocks, the flocks would be the sheep or the uh, the people, the sheeple, as many have said. You eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You kill them that are f- supposed to be being fed, but you don't feed the flock. The diseased have not strengthened, or have you not strengthened, Neither have you healed that which was sick. Neither have you bound up that which was broken. So a broken bone is still broken. It's not in a cast or anything. Neither have you brought, again, that which was driven out or driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty, with rigor, you have ruled them. And they were scattered. Because there was no shepherd, they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. My flock was scattered upon the face of the earth, and none did search for or seek after them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God. Surely because my flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves, and fed not my flock. Therefore, O you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them uh, to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock out of their mouth, that they might not be meat for them. Now, lest you think that this flock becoming meat is talking about literal animals, read verse 31. And you, my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. Now, let's continue in verse 12. As a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them, From the countries, and will bring them to their own land, and feed them upon the mountains of Israel, by the rivers, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall be their fold, and they shall lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down says the Lord God, I will seek that which was lost and bring that again which was driven out. And I will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and I will feed them with judgment. And as for you, O my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the he-goats, Does it seem a small thing for you to have eaten up all the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the residue of your pastures? This is an analogy that we need to explore probably a little bit. But verse 19, and as for my flock, they eat that which you have trodden down with your feet. He's talking to the pastors here. And they drink that which you have fouled with your feet. Therefore, thus says the Lord God unto them, Behold, I, even I, will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean, because you have thrust with side and with shoulder and pushed all the diseased with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock, and I will set up a shepherd, verse 23, over them, and he shall feed them. Even my servant David... This proves the resurrection right there because this is way after the death of david and he shall feed them and shall be their shepherd and i the lord will be their god and my servant david a prince among them i the lord have spoken it you know god can see the end from the beginning that's why he still loves us he sees us finished and we're not finished just yet Verse 25, and I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land. Now, the evil beasts would be the enemies of Christianity, and you probably can figure out quite easily who they are. And they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and their places... Round about my hill a blessing, and I will cause the shower to come down in a season, and there shall be showers of blessing. That sounds pretty good. And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase, and they shall be safe in their land, and shall know that I am the Lord, when I have broken the bands of their yoke, and delivered them out of the hands of those who serve themselves by eating them, in other words. Serve themselves of them, and they shall be no more a prey to the heathen, neither shall the beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell there safely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will raise up for them or unto them a plantation for renown, and they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. For thus Thus they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, says the Lord God. And you are my flock, the flock of my pasture, and you are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God." Now just how do you think, or how do I think, Christians can inadvertently deceive people? It's a big topic. I've heard stories about missionaries, and uh, one of them actually has a giant boat, a a large uh, uh, freight vessel, um, uh, diesel-powered. But he goes around and goes up to New York City and finds wealthy people to donate money for the Haitians. And what he'll do, he'll go into stores and find the best bargains on blankets and tents and shoes and pillows and utility wares, kitchen appliances and stuff. Not appliances per se, but cookware and the like. Keeping in mind that he's made many, numerous trips to Haiti and just donated that stuff to people. And he's not even a Christian. But... We're talking about Christians here, and I heard a story about these guys that decided, well, we went down there, and we saw all these buildings that need to be repaired, and we saw kids in the street playing barefoot, walking around in the mud, and in puddles in the streets and the like. And, you know, we don't see that that much anymore here in the United States, not at all. They don't don't really do that much here at least not around here in Florida where I live. But um, they got a whole bunch of shoes and took them down there and donated them to village after village after village. What That looks like a good thing. But what they didn't realize was that they were putting men who actually were overwhelmed with business selling shoe crafts that they did and made themselves put them right out of business because they could no longer feed their families on the money generated by their work. Wouldn't it be better to go down there and teach them a trade, teach them how to plant seeds in the ground, teach them how to get water out of the ground and and irrigate their fields? Seems to me that would be better than just handing them a bunch of shoes and putting people out of business so it's it's not that they were trying to put them out of business and some of the men couldn't handle it so they commit suicide when they go out of business that's not a good thing so the village what do you think they would think of Christians Christians that came down and did that to them and what about seed companies that go in there and they say We're going to give you tons and tons of seed for your fields. And it looks like a good thing. But in reality, their seeds will only grow one season. And so they have to come back to that company again to get more seed. You can't save the seed from the plants that grow from them. They're genetically modified. Uh Oh, that's no good. It's no good because they won't grow the next year so they're out of business completely nothing will grow if they tried to uh, seed those uh, fields again with the seed they grew last year they wouldn't even come up they're called suicide seeds well that would not be a christian thing to do that would be deceiving people and whether they're christian or not if they go down and do such things and they're from america they get labeled that way They get labeled as Christians because they're from America. So these are a couple of ways that we deceive them. Now, how else? Well, it's doctrinally. You know, if you research the go to heaven idea, you're going to find some interesting things. Justin Martyr lived about 150 A.D. shortly after the death of Christ. Here's something he wrote, and we still have his works recorded, and you can get them online. That's where I got this. This is from the Dialogue with Trifo, chapter 80. For if you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but do not admit the truth of the resurrection, and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying that there is no resurrection of the dead, and that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians. What? See, in those days, in the early days of Christianity, that doctrine was blasphemous. That was Hellenistic, the Pharisaical, Baptists, or, well, no, Baptists acquired that from the Greeks. And its philosophy, it has nothing to do with the Bible, the Word of God, the words Jesus himself spoke, which was passed down to Justin Martyr. So, we've got to be careful about our doctrine. We do not have an immortal soul. We are a soul. We are a person. A person has a spirit that he does not have a soul that's going to live on after he dies. We teach that he does. That's a deceit. And what about the hell doctrine? And you who have followed my podcast know how I feel about that. You can go to my website, JesusIsWhy.com. And you can read my eight books there, but one of them is Why Lie About Hell?, We lie about hell inadvertently. We're not maybe trying to deceive people. We just don't know any better. Well, let's educate ourselves. If we are teachers, and I I guess I'm one of them because I'm teaching, let's teach the truth. What does the Bible really say about hell? Well, there's no mention of eternal conscious torment. And yet, universally, Ubiquitously, worldwide, we teach that there is an an immortal soul, that when uh, our human bodies die, the soul lives on, and then it can be tormented and tortured forever and ever and ever. The Bible says nothing of the kind. And yet we continue this blasphemous idea and preach it every single week. No wonder we are hated of all nations for the namesake of Jesus. We are known as deceivers. This gospel we are preaching, that's another thing. What about it? One more thing on the hell doctrine. If you want to see one verse or two verses that are actually clinchers, that prove the point that there is no such thing as eternal conscious torment, just turn to Jeremiah chapter 51, and read verses 39 and 57, which says, let's see, verse 39, and this is talking about the uh, example of the Babylonian religion. Babylon was a symbol in the Bible used to indicate sin, major, major sin. Baal worship started in Babylon. Verse 39, chapter 51 of Jeremiah says this, In their heat I will make their feasts, and I will make them drunken, that they may rejoice and sleep a perpetual sleep, and not wake, says the Lord. Whoa. In verse 57 he says it a little stronger. And I will make drunk her princes, and her wise men, her captains, and her rulers, and her mighty men, And they shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, says the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. I find that fascinating and significant. The preachers today do not use the Old Testament. In fact, they don't hardly use any scriptures at all. They'll base their entire sermon on one scripture, one verse, or maybe a half a verse. No wonder that, people are walking away from church we need more food than that we don't need crumbs we need the whole thing so let's get back to getting lots of different scriptures including the old testament what do you think jesus had in his day the new testament no he only had the old testament the new testament has not been or had not been written by then so this is all they had. Well, we don't even read it anymore. No wonder we don't know. We're taught by philosophy. Let's get over that. What is, <clears throat> excuse me. What is the gospel? Over and over and over and over, Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom. Let's go to Matthew 6.33, for example. And it's all through here, every word of Jesus really is about the kingdom of God. All of his parables, they're all about the kingdom of God. If going to heaven when you die was real, if an immortal soul was real, why wouldn't Jesus have said so? Why wouldn't you find that listed among his writings or his words? Never a word about that. Matthew six thirty-three says, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things that the Gentiles seek after, in other words, shall be added unto you. What is the gospel of the kingdom? Well, what's a kingdom? A kingdom is a king ruling over territory and the people that live there with a set of laws and providing the goods and services that those people need. And he goes around and finds out what that is just like Donald Trump is doing, and then he gives it to him. I think that's awesome. We have a great president there, and I'm proud of him, regardless of your politics. Forget politics. Look at what he's doing. Well, the gospel is about this kingdom. Jesus is going to be the king of kings, the savior of the world. What does that mean, savior of the world? Well, it's a spiritual salvation, and the kingdom is set up in your hearts. No, that's not true. It's not set up in your hearts. The king was right there in their midst. That's what he's talking about. It's not that he's um, setting up something in your hearts. It's within you. No, it's among you. That same word in the Greek means among you. The king was standing right there among the people, among the Sadducees and the Pharisees and scribes. So we need to get it straight, really, truly, and know that it's a real kingdom, an on-the-ground kingdom with a real king, a king that cannot be assassinated, cannot be ushered out of office, or unelected, or whatever you want to say about it. He can't go anywhere because he is the king of kings. He will save the world. He will save it because we're going to destroy it. We're going to ruin it. And I don't mean that we're going to melt the whole thing down and start over. And there are some groups like the uh, Seventh-day Adventists that believe that the whole world will be molten for a thousand years. All right, so where are we? Are we alive during that time? Are we melted? Are we burning? Are we up in heaven looking down on it? A lot of people think that all... Worlds, All suns and stars and and all of space will go away. Is that true? I'm here to say no. Otherwise, Isaiah, I believe it is, would not have been able to say, world without end. Let's see if I can find that. Isaiah 45, uh, I believe, and verse, actually, I just looked it up here. 4517 45 verse 17 wait 4517 I had Jeremiah sorry and 18 these are very interesting scriptures but Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You shall not be ashamed nor confounded, world without end. Hmm, how could the world not have an end? Well, it's going to be rebuilt. Verse 18, get this. For thus says the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he established it, and that, I believe, means the heavens and the earth, he established it all, and created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord God, in other words, and there is none else. He formed it to be inhabited. Are, are you talking about just the earth? No. He created the whole thing. The whole enchilada. All of the universe. And he created it not in vain. He created it to be inhabited. Isaiah 45, 18. So, the kingdom of God is just the start. It's the beginning. We're going to make Earth the model from which all other planets will be designed and built and brought to life through his children. We have a job to do. We're not going to retire to heaven somewhere to join the clouds in some mist. No, 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 not at all. And it's not going to be with different colors and different smells and different sounds than we can hear on earth. No, it's going to be brought to life. Let's not forget what we learned a time or two before in Second Peter 3.13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. You know, in order for righteousness to dwell in the heavens, in the new heavens, there have to be people out there. That's what the kingdom of God will start. Well, this is Albert Hardy. Thank you for listening. I'm glad that you're interested in prophecy. Very few people on the earth know anything about it. Well, it's time we learned. It's time the church got prepared for the kingdom. And that's what our lives are about. Go to my website, Jesus is why, at well, and you can, you can email me at Jesus why at gmail.com. Please do that if you have a comment or question. I'll try to answer it through the pages of the Bible. So, go to the website, Jesus is y, why, W H Y, dot com, and you can read my books for free. I don't have a thing to sell on the website. It's all for you. It's all for free. There's PDF files of every book. You can get copies of it just by hitting the print button on your uh, PDF reader. And it's all for free and for you. It's a labor of love that I've spent many years getting there. So anyway, until next time, I'll see you later. May God bless you and guide you in the name and honor of Jesus. Have a great day. Bye-bye.